Let's turn to Luke chapter chapter 2 this morning. In case you were sleeping. I don't know how that would happen, but in case you're sleeping. Luke chapter 2. We've been going through the first four Christmas carols that were ever written, and this is the fourth and final of the carols. And this one comes from Luke chapter 2. And we will start in uh, uh, verse 22 of Luke chapter 2. So if you're able, would you stand with me as we read the Word of God? (laughs) Heavenly Father, we pray that as we come to your Word, your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to it, uh, open our mind to it, open our hearts to it. Lord, that we would not just see the words on the page, but that they would penetrate into our, our very soul, that we would understand what it means to have a life that is lived for you and to the things of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. When the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Many of you know that I uh, grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So when I say the word ketchup, I only mean one thing, okay? It's Heinz ketchup. Now, I I know you can go to other places in, 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 in restaurants and stores, and you can find some red liquid in a bottle, But that's not ketchup. It's H.J. Heinz. That's just synonymous with ketchup. It came into being in 1871 in the Heinz uh, mine and factory. And then in 1890, they put it in that distinctive bottle. You know, the bottle that, that we, we can still find every once in a while. It's big at the bottom and has a long neck there that goes up like that. It, it, the bottle actually became an icon in marketing so that it, when you saw that bottle, you knew ketchup and you knew Heinz ketchup. And after 130 years, uh, I mean, the bottle was just an icon for uh, over 130 years. The problem with that bottle was getting that red, thick goodness out of the bottle. And, and you know, you, you'd turn it like this, and then what would happen? You would wait, and you would wait. And then you'd take the end of it and go like that, like that, hoping that it would speed it up. Well, some of us knew the trick on how to get the ketchup out of the bottle. You don't pound the back of it, you pound the neck like that, and it kind of lets loose the molecules and the goodness comes out. Well, they took that thickness and waiting and made an advertisement campaign 
and many of you will remember it, with the Carly Simon song, Anticipation, right? Anticipation is making me late. Boom, 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 boom. It's keeping me way, yay, 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 time. Now, Carly Simon wrote that song as she was waiting for Cat Stevens to come and pick her up on their first date. Okay? Uh, like musicians, what do they know, huh? They just write whatever comes to their mind, okay? Well, in 2002, this all came to a, a, a terrible and catastrophic end in my mind when they did away with the anticipation campaign, and out came the upside-down squeeze bottle, okay, that you put like this, and whenever you want it, you pop it off and go like that, and it comes out. Um, no weight. No mess, no anticipation. They tried to bring the anticipation in, but it just really didn't work. A sad day in catch-up history, I think. Okay? But, but, you know, waiting. Now, now there, those among us who don't like to wait, who just can't stand waiting, they go to a restaurant, it'll be a 10-minute wait, uh, we'll go to the next one. They pick up the phone, they say, hi, you know, can I speak to so-and-so? Uh, yeah, is it okay if I put you on hold? Uh, no. They, they hang up. Well, they go to the doctor's office, and, and, and you know, um, uh, we, we give doctors a lot of leeway because of their schedule and emergencies and things like that, but there are some people that, you know, they'll go, I've been in this waiting room 10 minutes. You know, I don't keep anybody waiting 10 minutes, so I'm gone. Uh, so some people just can't wait, okay, can't wait. But sometimes we are willing to wait because we know that there are good things at the end of that wait. We don't eat, those of us who are civilized, don't eat the raw chocolate chip cookie dough, okay? We wait for them to come out of the oven because, because all that gooey goodness and warmness and you break it and the, and the chocolate chip kind of hangs together there, you know what I'm talking about, and then we eat the chocolate chip because we know it is so much better then, okay? We don't open our Christmas presents before, but we wait until everybody's there because it's more fun when everybody is there together, now, perhaps you have waited for years for an event or for something or for someone because it was worth the wait. Well, what if you waited for 70 or 80 years and still your wait had not been fulfilled? What you'd been waiting for and anticipating had not happened. Would you begin to lose hope after that length of time? Maybe, maybe. Last night we looked at the, the song of the shepherds and, and, and that they heard from the angels, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace uh, among those with whom he is well pleased. And it was the announcement just to the common shepherds that the Savior, who is Christ the Lord, was, was born in the city of David. It was evidence of the love of our Heavenly Father that he has for us, that he would send his Son into this world for the likes of us. Not that he would wait for us to get it together or to get cleaned up, but he would send Christ to us while we were still in our sin. It's the only way it could happen. God made the way. That's how it happened. God did the action. So this morning we come to the final, uh, the fourth song, the fourth Christmas carol, and it's about Simeon. And uh, the Latin for this one is uh, nunc dimittis, which comes from the first line that says, now let depart. Now let depart. And it references the first line, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Now, Simeon is summing up what he's been waiting for all his life. I mean, we, we read that the Holy Spirit had promised 
that he would see the Christ before he died. And, and you know, Simeon's probably thinking, it's, it's, we're getting down right, it's going to be a photo finish, it looks like. Okay, Lord, it's going to be close here. When is this going to happen? But the words of Simeon sum up everything that is important in his life. Everything that he has been waiting for his entire life. My eyes have seen your salvation. Now I can depart in peace. We don't hear Simeon asking for further evidence that this child who's walked into the, uh, the temple, is this really the Christ child? Remember Zechariah? Well, how will I know if this is true? Well, you're going to know it's true because you won't be able to speak or hear for nine months. Okay, That's how you're going to know it's true. Simeon did not ask that question. He sees the Christ. He sees his salvation. The salvation that the Lord had promised so long ago. The salvation that Simeon had been anticipating all of his life. His eyes have seen the Christ. His heart knows salvation. Life's complete. Life's complete. There's no need for anything else in his life. He has it all there. Well, apart from faith in Christ, there's really no explanation for such a life. There's no explanation for a life that is content, that has no regrets, that can ask for nothing else than what the Lord has for them and to see the fulfillment of it in Christ and in Christ alone. Now, those who are outside of Christ, those who, who don't believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, don't, don't understand that. They may say, well, Randy, I, I'm pretty happy. I'm fulfilled. I, I'm, I don't have any regrets. I'm content with, with life as it is. But they can say that because they don't yet know Christ. But once you know Christ, then you know what you have been missing. Then you know that this is what I was created for. This is the one who loves me, has given his life for me, who made me, who holds me in the palm of his hand. Now I understand what contentment is. Now I understand how to live without regret. When we know the one who has created us, then we find fulfillment. Then we find satisfaction. Those who live in anticipation without Christ, anticipation of something, will find no satisfaction. Only in Christ. Now there are a lot of things... A lot of things in this world that our flesh waits for. And when we get them, when we finally get them, we think, man, this is great. Okay? We wait outside the oven. You know, and don't, you don't open the oven door because that lets the heat out. It just prolongs it. You can turn the light on. You look in and the cookie's ready, cookie's ready. You pull them out. You, you let them sit there on the, on the pan for just a minute or two. You put them on the rack. They cool. And, and, and you've just been waiting and anticipating. You eat that cookie and it just, sounds, it just tastes so good. And then what, it's gone. You know, it takes four seconds to eat that cookie. And then what, what do you want to do? You want to eat another one. Because, you, you know, you're, you're kind of fulfilled, but boy, it's gone. That, 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 that was so momentary, uh, so quick, it's, it's gone. Uh, you, you think of, here you are, a, a young boy, and you've been reading your dad's car magazines, and you've been dreaming about a Porsche all your life, okay? But what happens? You get that Porsche, it's going to break down, somebody in the parking lot is going to open a door on it and ding it, and you're going to come out and you're going to cry because your Porsche's got a ding in it, or you're going to wreck it, or it's going to end up in the junkyard sooner or later, right? That's just the way it is. Society says there are things that we need to strive for, think experiences and stuff that we need to have that will give us fulfillment. But what happens? Sooner or later... Those people who are still left are going to put us in the ground in Maple Hill, and they're going to be eating our cookies and driving our Porsches. That's just the way it is. Simeon, 
Simeon waited all his life to see one person. One person. He believed and he trusted the Lord through all those many years that the Lord would fulfill his promise and let Simeon see the Christ, to see salvation with his own eyes, hold him with his own hands. And Simeon says, it was worth the wait. I have no regrets. My life has been lived for the Lord. I have no regrets. Well, who is this guy, Simeon? Well, 400 years before, Malachi prophesied that the Messiah would come and the Jews have been waiting the Lord has been silent for 400 years. So not all the Jews had been waiting. Some had kind of given up. Uh, but there were faithful men and women like Simeon here who, who paid attention to the promise, who paid attention to the prophecy. They were anxiously waiting the arrival of the Messiah. And this man, Simeon, was part of that small group of faithful Jews. And Simeon personifies this, this remnant that we see throughout the Old Testament. Those who are faithful, who understand that the Lord would act in the Lord's time and we need to wait for the Lord. He will save us when he is ready and when his perfect plan comes together. And even though they didn't know Christ, because Christ hadn't, hadn't come yet, they knew God would act and God would save them. And it would be his grace They were penitent. They trusted the Lord. They did the things that the Lord told them to. They were obedient. They believed the prophets. They lived expectantly waiting to see the Messiah. Well, Simeon's name actually personifies all that he was about. When he was born and his parents uh, take him to the temple on the eighth day to, to circumcise him and name him, they chose a name that by the providence of God was perfect for him. It said, God has heard. Simeon's prayer, Lord, let me see your Christ. God has heard this prayer. That is Simeon's name. So God, through the Holy Spirit, told Simeon that he wouldn't die before he saw the Messiah. And as the baby Jesus is brought to the temple by his parents in accordance with the law, he realizes that this is what he's been waiting for all of his life. All of his life. Here's the child. He is, we are told, a devout man who had dedicated himself to service of the Lord, a man who had given himself to life on God's terms. And he could ask for no more. He wanted no more. He had been waiting all these years for the consolation of Israel, for the promise to be fulfilled. Now he sees Mary and Joseph. He sees the Christ child. He can say, now my life is complete. I am satisfied. No regrets in the life that I have lived. He lifts up his heart, he lifts up his voice, and he comes out with this great song uh, that we see here. Uh, Again, verse 29. Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. I have seen your salvation. The moment has come. I've seen it with my eyes. I've held it in my hands. I've known it in my heart. And we think, really? I mean, can fulfillment of our lives be so simple? I mean, the world says there's so many other things that it's going to take to give us fulfillment. Are, are you saying, Rand, you can have fulfillment in your entire life in this one person? Can a lifelong search for meaning really come to the conclusion in just one relationship? In one relationship, can all the world have, that has to offer be seen as secondary to Christ? In 1904, a young man graduated from 
high school in Chicago. His name was William Borden. He was the heir of the Borden Dairy Estate. He's already a millionaire, 16 millionaire, didn't have any wants in his life. And for his high school graduation present, his parents gave him a trip around the world. Imagine that as a 16-year-old, sent off around the world. As a young man, he traveled through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, and he saw so many different people and so many different cultures. He wrote home while he was on the trip and told his parents of his desire to be a missionary. One friend expressed the surprise that Bill was simply throwing away all that he was to be a missionary. And Bill wrote two words in the back of his Bible in response to that. No reserves. No reserves. Even though Borden was wealthy beyond what most people could ever dreamed of, he arrived at the campus of Yale and he tried to look just like everybody else, just like another freshman coming in. But it's very quickly Borden's classmates noticed that he wasn't just like everybody else. One of his friends wrote, He came to college far ahead spiritually of any of us. He had already given his heart in full surrender to Christ. We who were his classmates learned to lean on him and find in him a strength that was solid as a rock just because of his settled purpose and consecration. So during his college years, Borden made one entry in his personal journey that defined what his classmates had seen in him. The entry said, Say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. So during the first semester at Yale, Borden started something that would begin to transform the entire campus. One of his friends described how it happened. He said, it was well into the first term when Bill and I began to pray together every morning before breakfast. We had been meeting only a short time when a third student and then a fourth student joined in. And before you know it, by the end of the first year, 150 freshmen were, we, were meeting every week for Bible study. And by the time Borden graduated his senior year, fully 1,000 of the 1,300 students at Yale were meeting in small group Bible studies each week, all because of what he started. Borden's outreach ministry wasn't confined just to the campus of Yale. He went about town into New Haven and and ministered to the widows and the orphans and the cripples, and he would find drunks on the street and take them and work to rehabilitate them, and he would find people who were hungry and take them into into a restaurant and feed them and begin to share the gospel of Christ with them. Borden's missionary call narrowed really to a group of Muslim people in China called the Kansus. Once that goal was in sight, he says he never wavered from his plan. And although he was a millionaire, Bill seemed to realize that he must always be about his father's business and not wasting time in the pursuit of amusement. So when he graduated from Yale, he turned down several high-paying job offers, and in his Bible he wrote two more words, no retreats, no retreats. Borden went on to graduate work at Princeton Seminary. When he finished his studies at Princeton, he sailed for China. Because he was hoping to work with the Muslims, he first stopped in Egypt to study Arabic. While he was there, he contracted spinal meningitis, and within a month, he was dead. Twenty-five years old, he was dead. When news of Borden's death was cabled back to the U.S., the story was carried in just about every newspaper that there was. And the woman who wrote his biography, Mary Taylor, said, A wave of sorrow went around the world. Borden not only gave away his wealth, but himself in a way so joyous and natural that it seemed a privilege rather than a sacrifice. 
So we ask, was Borden's death a waste? I mean, 25, millionaire, so much promise, but not in God's plan. Not in God's plan. Prior to his death, Borden had written two more words in his Bible. He wrote, no reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. Simeon has been waiting all his life for salvation. It comes to him in the person of Christ. It comes to you today in the person of Christ. How will you live because of it? Let's pray. Our gracious Lord, a life lived without regret can only be lived according to the things of Christ. You have given us your Son, and it is a joy to know him. It is a joy to see salvation before our eyes. It is a joy to know salvation within our hearts. Heavenly Father, the question for us today is how will we live because of this? Will we receive Christ and know him and will our lives be changed forever? Or will we see Christ in the manger and celebrate that and stop there? You lay before us, Lord, this great gift of Christ. We pray that our eyes will see salvation today and that our lives will be lived without regrets and according to your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.